Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Hope you're groovy. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, can you please help me out and write a quick review and click some of those stars at the bottom of the app there? Um, that would be super. Anything else you want to check out relating to the Gig Life Podcast, you can find it all at thegiglifepodcast.com and any other links, social media and that kind of stuff is all in the show notes. So that's it for today. So now on to the good stuff. Episode 84, Gary Pinto, here we go. Today is award-winning vocalist, songwriter and mentor, Gary Pinto. Gary is considered one of the greatest soul and R&B singers that Australia has ever produced. His musical backgrounds include fronting the multi-platinum selling band CDB, widely regarded as pioneers of R&B music in Australia. He's also written songs for a number of Australian artists, including Jimmy Barnes, Guy Sebastian, Anthony Collier, Christina Nu, Mr Timothy and Jade McRae. He has mentored many of Australia's recording artists and worked as X Factor Australia's vocal director and he's also worked on many of the other Australian music television shows including The Voice and All Together Now. As well as charity work, being a father and being a husband, Gary is currently touring with the songs and times of Sam Cooke and he's also part of Tina Arena and Guy Sebastian's touring bands. Truly one of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, it was an honour to sit and chat with this incredible musician and human. So ladies and gentlemen, please sit back and open your ears to some of the life and times of Gary Pinto. Alright, I think we're rolling. Gary Pinto, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks, Stevie. Thanks for having me, brother. Man, sweet as. Good to talk to you, man. Um, wish we were in the same room, but we're not. I know. Um, I know. And you're in Melbourne, aren't you? Yes, brother. So um, I'm in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne with a 16, 16-month-old little girl and wow. enjoying the kind of, um, you know, the isolation with her and, and my wife. So it's been a, a welcome blessing to be home, actually, a hidden blessing for, for this past month and a half. Yeah. How, how often were you away before COVID sort of kicked in? Uh, around nine months a year, we are sort of away as as um between Natasha and I. So um, recently, we've been you know um, prior to COVID kicking in, I was doing some television work in Sydney and and some stuff um, interstate. So maybe out of every month, I'll be away a couple of weeks, you know, or, or a week and a half. So it's great to be actually able to be spending some beautiful time, even walking with my daughter and wife yeah. around the block. It's incredible. It's a time we'll never get again, you know. So, as much as the trying, trying time for the world, there are have been hidden blessings for us in in the process too. Totally, and and that sixteen months too. Um, if you're not there, you can miss a lot because they're 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 good times, man. I know. I mean, it, I, I mean, it all, it all it's all great, but you know, 
It's yeah. yeah, yeah. It's at an age, you know, where they're they're definitely talking and they're running and they're walking. And, and, yes. Yep. And and they and need they need yes. their, they need their dad there to catch them when they trip over and they're about to hit their head on the table. <laughs> yeah, well, thank God. She poor bugger. She sometimes does slip over, and so um, she's just such a beautiful child. We're just very very fortunate that we've had, been able to spend the time with her. Yeah, that's cool. God. Yeah, I've got mm-hmm. a I've got an eight year old and a ten year old, two girls. Oh, beautiful. Yep. yep. Oh. So they're awesome. They they're basically running the show now. They. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what are they musicians as well? Do they love music as well? Um. They, I, I think they, they naturally are, but they don't want to learn anything yet. They, they don't want to – I mean, yeah. we, we try all the time. Hey, you know, this term – well, obviously before COVID, you know, do this, you know, this term, do you want to go and um, yeah. um, do piano lessons or drums or whatever? Because we, we went to a, um, a local music school here. They had an open night and they yeah. had all the instruments out and our kids were allowed to just go in and play the drums and play the piano and, and – you know, singing to the mics and that kind of stuff. And yeah. they loved it, eh? And it's, we yeah. were thinking, oh, this is cool. They're going to start some lessons. But they're like, nah. <laughs> I, want to, I want to play Minecraft. <laughs> but It'll come at the, at the right time. You know, uh, yeah, it will, it will come. But, yeah, um, instruments all over the place. I've got, you know. Yeah, I can see. Bongos and drums out in the lounge and guitars. And, you know, they come in here sometimes. We we set my studio up and they um, – I've got this uh, – little module with these sound pads on it and they can record yeah. individual things onto the pads and play them back. So wow. they, they come in here and pretend to do their own podcast, which is pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, I mean, the, the thing is that the kids, like um, I just t- taught one of my friends, you know, do you know Morris, um, Morris June? No. So he, he's in Parramatta. Of, he runs a school called, um, he runs a dance school over in Parramatta and he's a, an amazing teacher his daughter I teach a, a little bit of, of music and she just I just started you know giving some ideas to her musically yeah. she sings melodies that wow. are so innately great like so pop that, that you know in a professional writing session these people would be writing like that you know right <laughs> and she's eight years old like incredible yeah. you know yeah hmm. it's just a matter of time eh? one day they'll you know hopefully say hey I want to learn something now and yeah that, that'll be great yeah. but definitely not pushing them into it yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, how else have you been coping with the COVID thing? Uh, we've we've just been recording a lot. We've been doing a lot of stuff that um, we do a lot of stuff for the church. My wife and I. So we've been doing masses. Yep. And um, we did a charity last week. Um, sorry, car- for sorry. Caritas. How does how does the mass work? Do you get a is it is it a big um, uh, is it like a stream? Well, it is. A friend yep. of ours is a priest, Father Rob Gellia, and he yep. is. Um, he married Natasha and I, and he's also one of the godfathers of our daughter Joy. Yep. So he has a mass that streams every Sunday at 10 a.m., and Natasha and I record our music, and we send it to him, and, and he okay. includes it in the mass. Oh, right, so, so be- he plays it at the mass. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a great man. So he gets musicians from Canada, um, Germany, all around the world, India, and each week he features a different artist in the mass, and he just speaks beautifully about God's love and and forgiveness and mercy. It, he's a really great priest. So Excellent. we love working with him. And in between that, we did the uh, show for Caritas Australia, which yep. is a charity that work in the in the furthermost regions of of the world with the poorest of the poor. And um, we got Diesel and Carmen Smith, who's been on the show, uh, Guy, um, Matt Gresham, Reese Maston, Emma Pask, Natasha, some beautiful artists to sing a song in aid of the of the work of the Caritas Australia. So it was great. Just last week we just finished that. Yeah, I I, I watched that. I watched that. Um, well, I, I, sorry, I watched it when it was when it was yes, being played live. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was great. And um, 
I'd never heard of Amalia Foy before. And I oh tell my you, goodness, what? Whoa, brother, oh, she is a beautiful incredible. singer. Yeah, and, and a brilliant piano player too. Oh, absolutely. She yeah. she play, the thing. It, it, she plays as good as she sings, and she's like right, like insanely great. Her pitch is incredible. Her instincts are incredible, and she's such a beautiful, sweet girl, pure. And and that's why it comes across in her voice. The purity of her her soul comes across when she sings. It's just remarkable. So she's on the way to I think an international deal soon. So wow. she's working with a producer over here. She, she's really phenomenal. That's great. Mm. Yeah, looking forward mm. to hearing a bit more from her. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I'm so glad you brought her up because yeah, she's she's she sort of is under the radar at the moment. But there will be a time soon where everyone will be hearing of her. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll um. Does she have? I'll find her social media stuff and I'll I'll link Thanks, it in brother. the I'll link it in the show notes of this. That's awesome. So, yeah. So um, yeah, Amalia Foy, incredible. Check her out. All right, man. Let's let's roll back. Early days, Gary Pinto. How it all began. Um, if you can tell us, sort of. Yeah, we'll just sort of lead up. Um, sure. Through your career and take it where it goes and just see what happens. Sure. Let's go back to um, was there music in your family? From your, yes. from your parents? Yep, okay. Definitely, yeah. So mum and dad are both musicians from India. They played gigs like three or four nights a week till four or five in the morning every night. So wow. they were really heavy into the uh, Indian music scene. Um, great, great singers. Great Dad learnt bass on gigs. So he, they said, you know, we need a bass player. Here's a bass. And dad learned how to play on the gig. Which, so, part, of, which part of India? Which part of from India? From Chennai. Chennai. Okay. They're from Chennai, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so we went back about tw- uh, 25 years when I was 25 years old and uh, mum went to her old house and it was destroyed and dad went to his old place and it was just ruined. And mum said, I'm never, I don't, I don't want to go back here because I remember it a certain way and it's different now and that's not how I remember it. Yeah. But it, it's, it's an incredible place and, and we, mum and dad took, made the decision to come out to Australia. Um, dad came out a year earlier, set the family up through, my, through, through his cousin and the Catholic Church gave him an interest-free loan to bring out the whole family from India. So eight on oh, mum's wow. side, five on dad's side, brought them all out and um, set ourselves up, set them up, set us all up. And we have a life that we would never have had. And there's no, you know, India's an incredible place, but we'd never be able to be musicians, like working musicians, and it'll be a completely different landscape for us. So my brother and I are grateful to mum and dad for that decision to come out and as much as we like, you know, visiting India, we feel definitely feel an affi- affiliation with it and an, and a love for it. But um, we appreciate the opportunities that we were given in Australia as musicians. Mm. Mm. We, you and your brother. You, so you've just got you got one sibling, your brother. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So he, and your brother's name's Brad. Yeah, he's an yep. incredible songwriter. He wrote for you know, um, he had a song on um, GEZ's last record. He's a mo- one of the really? best songwriters I know. Yeah. Oh wow. A monster. So he's, um, oh, awesome. he's he's songwriting every day now and, and sort of for international artists and he's a really great, he's he's more of an artist than me by a long stretch. So he's a painter and he's a singer and a songwriter. And so he's he's got, um, he's he's doing that full time now. So it's it's really great to see him do so well. That's really great. So when mm-hmm. did you guys start um, getting into music yourself? So when we, 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 we grew up, mum and dad sort of made us, we, we sang with them four-part harmony from, you know, two and three years old. Or as soon as we could talk, we were singing harmonies with them. Okay, but sorry. We, so, so were you and your brother born in Australia or India? Born in Australia. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Right, gotcha. So mum and, mum and dad came here, got married, and he, uh, nine months and one week later I was born okay. in Australia. So um, 
Mum and dad used to say, you know, you take the third, you take the fifth, I'll take the seventh and dad will take the lead and we'll just sing. But when we got to sort of five and six years old, we started school, we just played sport every day till we were 15. So we used to play cricket and football and sort of a lot, like seven days a week we'd play sport. And we got to a stage where we were going to be professional sport or professional music. And um, mum mum said to us, make a choice. You're going into year 12 or year 11. Make your choice. So we're 15, 16, we started CDB dance routines and plan, dancing in nightclubs and right. um, doing competitions. So, so C- and CDB was the first musical, the musical thing you guys did? Kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah, we did stuff, cool. you know, we sang with mum and dad and stuff. But yeah, never, yeah, yeah, apart from that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And what was your, what is your background in music, brother? What's, what's your oh, background? Oh, yeah, um, well, I'm, my, my main instrument's drums. Yeah. Um, I started playing piano um, when I was 11. Um, because I saw somebody on TV playing a guitar. Yes. And I wanted to do that. And Was that Paul Gray? Oh, no, no, this was was in New Zealand. I I can't even remember who it was. It would have been a band. I mean, you know, this is, um, this would have been, uh, mid, mid to late eighties. So of course, guitars are around. So I wanted wanted to be a piano player and I, I wanted to go and get, you know, um, Guitar lessons and dad said, no, you got to go play piano. Guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That's yeah. yeah, so I, I um, yeah, went and got piano lessons and then um, my brother started drumming and um, there was a set of drum kit. No, sorry, there were, yeah, a set of drums in our shed and a guy used to come around and teach my brother and I used to sit around the back and watch the lesson. Oh, amazing. And then when my brother would go inside, I'd jump on and, oh. and just sort of, you know, play that lesson as well. And... um. But a brother, brother rivalry came in, and he thought I was getting better, so he gave up. So oh, <laughs> the drums are all mine. That. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's yeah. incredible, brother. How good God is. I, I believe you know God has a destiny for all of us, and I, you know those things, those little seeds he plants when you're a little little boy. Yeah. You know, incredible. Yeah. That 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 yearning to to play. I mean, that's a beautiful blessing. That's incredible how it's flourished into your life. Same <laughs> cool, as us. Man. It just. The seeds he plants in innocence, as 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 you know, young people growing up, yeah, become something beautiful and and that, that can be used to bring joy to others. You know, yeah, for sure, for mm. sure. And then yeah, from that it was just just playing in bands, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and just so do you know that? Sorry, my brother. Do you know that um, the Levites, uh, the the Hanlon brothers in in Queensland, and the um, Stan Walker's band in New Zealand. I don't person. I don't personally know those guys. I know who they are. Yep. Yeah, they're beautiful fellas, beautiful players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's some. Uh, yeah, pretty awesome uh, musos in New Zealand, and and also yeah. that are, that are here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. Um, we're um starting to learn some CDB moves and harmonies <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 So um. You're playing sort of clubs and stuff. Were you were you self promoting yourself? Did you have a manager, that kind of stuff at that stage? We yep. did, yeah. So so we're fifteen and sixteen, and there was a friend of mine in my school, Jason Catherine, who was in a group called Too Damn Hyped or Jadim, and they were dancers. They used to they used to win competitions to go over the seas, and they were really great. And they were managed by a guy named Roger Bood, who had a company called Midnight in Melbourne. So he used to run dance um, dance um, parties to fifteen hundred kids, a thousand kids at cinemas and at pools and at like big oh, really? events once every three months and, and feature an act on it. So we, we went up to him and said, you know, we're, we're, we're in your neighbourhood. We'd love to play at your, at your gig. 
And it was really hard to get a gig at this thing. Right. But um, my friend Jason kind of kept nudging Roger and saying, you know, these guys are pretty good, you know, just put them on before us. And it was like a real kind of um, a coup for us to get on this gig. So 15-year-old, 16-year-old dancing, uh, the running man and, you know, all the Roger Rabbit and all that stuff. At these underage discos, and we, 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 that was our pinnacle. That was it. We had reached the pinnacle. So, as we were doing this, we, we were awesome. doing it in front of, you know, a thousand kids. We thought this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. And we'd win these dance competitions along the way at different nightclubs and different sort of festivals they had. Um, I, I went for an audition as a fifth, uh, as a, I was about 16 or 17. And this guy auditioned me and he, he said to me, Oh, um, he goes, you didn't make it, you didn't get the thing because I cracked, my voice cracked when I was going for a big note. But two weeks later I saw the guy and he goes, you're a singer, aren't you? I said, yeah. He goes, do you want to bring a friend tomorrow night? Peter Andre's playing on Steve Weissart's show. Can you bring a friend and can you sing along with him? I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I called Andrew De Silva and I, from, my, from CDB and we went to the Steve Weissart show and we sang with Peter. And Peter at the end of the gig goes, hey, man, can you come back to the studio and record some of my record? I'm recording my first album. I said, yeah, yeah, let me call my, fellas, my, my friends. So I called Brad and Danny from CDB. We went there and for the next month and a half, we recorded every night with Peter, um, his first album. Wow. So it was, some, God just opened this door. So as we were recording, Molly would come in every night and, and just loved it, you know, loved the sound of it because Molly managed Peter at the time. Right. And nearing the end of the album, he goes, look, I've got you a gig, Peter. It's an, a tour with Madonna. Can I take? Can we take these guys with us? Can, do you want to come on the road with us? <laughs> and we were like sixteen, and we're like, yeah, man, sixteen and seventeen. We're like, yes, we're doing it. So we went on the road with Peter and Madonna, and from there, all the record companies that had had given us a no, we had been told no maybe six months before by all the four majors. All of them came back with a deal straight away. Really? So wow. we, we, yeah, <laughs> we we stood with each other. We said a prayer. We said Jesus guide us in the right way. And we looked at each other and Andrew goes, Sony, Brad goes, Sony. And he goes, Sony. I said, Sony. So wow. we signed with Sony and did, did our recordings with them and, and toured extensively and had a, you know, a really good run. That's really cool. Just mm. going back to your vocal, um, mm. who were some of your vocal uh, influences? Oh, man. B- 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 Take Six, Stevie Wonder, Al Green, Sam Cooke, Donny Hathaway, uh, <laughs> Brian McKnight, did the greatest, you know? Right. And, yeah. I, and, and, and I always said like in my, in my heart and God knew that my heart's desire, even Diesel was a great influence. Just, yeah. just his voice is a, he's a unbelievable singer and amazing songwriter. All these people in my mind, I had in my mind, I, I'd say, um, you know, these dreams, you know, and I, I wouldn't say to God, I'd love to meet this person or anything. I just pray every night, my prayer, Lord, let your will be done in my life. And he would see the things that I would love, you know? I ended up meeting, uh, I was in um, in a studio recording my first solo album in 2001 in, in LA and my friend knew I was a Take Six fiend. So he rings me up on my day off and he goes, come to the studio. And I said, oh, what for? And he goes, come to the studio, you won't regret it. So I got in my car and I drove to the studio in, in Los Feliz and at the in the studio they had the Backstreet Boys and Take Six. Take Six were teaching the Backstreet Boys what to sing, two of the members of Take Six. So each member of Backstreet Boys had one member of Take Six in their ears. I wasn't right. interested in the Backstreet Boys to talk to them, but I was freaking interested to talk to Take Six. Yeah. So I was just, I was like a puppy dog at the, at, the, at the feet of David Thomas. I was just going, man, I, he was talking to, with me. He was going, yeah. you know, uh, you, how's your record sound? I said, oh, nothing about my record. You know, you're the, you're the kings, man. But it was an amazing experience, you know, to, to meet them. But I was such as I was so starstruck by David Thomas. I said to him, 
I thought, you know, I'm never going to meet this guy again. The reason I installed the car stereo in my car was to learn Take Six and Stevie Wonder parts. That's it. Just to learn where they go. So I said to him, I said, the reason I saw the car stereo in my car was just to learn where you go musically. And I think he freaked out. He just was, okay. And he didn't say another word. <laughs> Took like for 20 minutes after they just. You scared him off. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. That's great. That's great, man. Okay. So yeah. back to the uh, the CDB stuff. Um, you've, you've signed your deal. Yes. Um, and then how far around the world did that? take you it took us it was it was going to take us even further than where it took us so we went to um all across asia we spent about six weeks touring asia without a day off which is fine it was it was hard we were losing weight like anything because we were gigging from eight in the morning till two in the morning every day whether it was in korea or singing in korean or you know whatever language we'd have to sing in it and big gigs we one one thing so we went to korea and they said to us um we want you to sing this song you know so we learnt the song and we, we translated it into English, obviously, because we're English, we can't, we can't speak Korean. And uh, the man at Sony says to us, okay, so the gig's tomorrow. It's at the stadium. It's 100,000 people live and it's 70 million um, watching. He goes, can you sing me the song, the gig's tomorrow? I said, yeah. I said, um, girl, let's make this night. And, and his face dropped. He goes, no, 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 in Korean. Oh. And I said, I said, I said, what? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, in Korean, must be in Korean. We've flown across to Korea without it for the one gig and we had no freaking idea we were singing in Korean. <laughs> so the whole day, the whole day, the Sony rep comes to me and she, she goes, I'm going to take you between your interviews and I'm going to teach you Korean for your gig tomorrow. My heart, man. And now I still know the song, Na ye ipsuri, no ye ho ye no. I know the long song because we learned it so much. Yeah. So we sang it. The gig was with um, John Denver and us to open the soccer stadium in, in Korea. But I had on my hand the lyrics written on my palm and singing. Wow. And thank God we got away with it, We, you know. But um, it was these, these, those sort of things because things were happening so fast and every day. We missed the details of certain things, so we we turned uh, up to Korea without knowing we were singing in Korean the next day. So it was on. But, it would have been, so it was on the sheet, but nobody read it. <laughs> well, I mean, they got us to sing the demo in English. I mean, so oh, many right. things were happening. Yeah. So right. we um, we we'd be doing we're running around between states and countries at the time, and um, somebody missed the missed the um, the memo or something. Missed yeah. The memo. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. So did was, did um uh, did um. John Denver have to sing Rocky Mountain High in, in <laughs> Korean or <laughs> he was so nice. He was so lovely. Yeah, he was yeah. a really kind man. But um I don't know. I don't know what, what he did in, in right in um but um he sang his beautiful songs, but I don't know whether he sang Korean or like yeah, right. it, was, it was amazing. <laughs> so but it's a yeah. Yeah. Tell me about I mean what was what was that buzz like? I mean, how old were you guys at at the time? We would have been around that time. We'd have been about eighteen and nineteen, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Did did you amazing. did you ever get the chance to kind of like step back and take stock and go, "Wow, look at this," you know, kind of appreciate mm. it, or did it just sort of happen so fast? And then, you know, in 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 retrospect, you think, "Oh, it geez, was, we did this." It was retrospective. Everything was, brother, for us because right. it was so fast. Right. But um, what happened was at, at the time we were about to we were supposed to open Sony India. We were going to. We had um, 
you know, because three of us have Indian heritage and one has Sri Lankan and we were going there. Three of us were over in India and Andrew was getting checked for cancer. They had, they were checking him, his health. And so we were in India waiting for him to come and they said, he's got cancer. And we, we were sort of like dumbfounded and we were, were in different countries. And so we, 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 we didn't do the gig in India. We, we told Sony we're not doing it. And while we're in India, um, Andrew just, you know, this, his health, he's, he said, I'm out, I'm, I'm finished. So we sort of, we were there, he was here, we came back and the group was finished. So it was, um, you know, it was a, th- at that time, it was a time to then, because everything stopped so abruptly, we went, what's been happening for the past two years? All these different changes are happening with, mm-hmm. um, with you know, we'd changed management, we'd, um, we'd been running so fast and we'd been smiling and, and clicking cameras all the time that we forgot, you know, we started to morph into these people that were just the, the veneer of, 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 um, of artists. So it took it really, really started searching deep into myself and trying to find out who I really was as a person and try and get back to not just the performer, but just the actual person, you know? Mm. Mm. Just, just when Let's Groove came out, mm. I, I, um, me and my family moved to Australia in 1994. Mm. And, um, I think Glide with Me came out 1994, didn't it? And then, yes, let's groove tonight. Uh, let's groove. Was that was that 95? Anyway, yes, it was, yes, yeah. Um, from where I was in New Zealand, I didn't really. <laughs> <coughs> I when I heard that song, I thought it was awesome. The first time I'd ever heard Let's Groove before. Right. Years later, I heard this band called Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Do this, do do what I thought was a, ver- a version <laughs> of CDB's Let's Groove. I wish it was that way Man. around. <laughs> but I, honestly, that that because you know I I'd, I'd heard, I think I'd heard September and a couple of other things over in New Zealand. But yeah, they're amazing, incredible yep. innovators, man. So yeah. even Serge, um, one of our friends, has gone over to yeah, America and he plays playing with guitar. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, incredible yeah. artists. So how did so just on that song then? So how did that? So, How so did that we, song come across? So we 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 had released this, the first single was Hook Me Up. Second single we released was Hey Girl. So Hook Me Up went to top went into the top ten. I think it went to seven. Hey Girl went to number eleven. Um, and then they, they were looking for a third single. And we had so many songs in our, our in our catalog in our albums. And uh, Sony was saying we we need you to do a cover. We said we're not doing a cover. We don't want to do a cover. We, we're an original band. You know, let us do what we do. They said no. We need you to do a cover. And the cover is this song by Brothers Johnson. Um, and we're like, we don't like this song. Um, mm. We like Brothers Johnson, but we freaking don't like the song. And we're getting pressured, pressured to do this cover. Anyway, we said, we prayed and said, God, we don't want to do this thing. And we, it was getting heavy at the time. You know, our management were going, you have to do this song. We didn't want to do it. And one day I just woke up with this melody in my head. Da, 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 da. I said, what about that song? That, um, that song, this, let, let's groove. And, they, and Andy goes, yeah, that's a really good song. I said, let's demo it now and send it into Sony and see if that, you know, because I love that. And Andy said, I love it too. Sent it in. Immediately the red company were like, that's the single. So we ended up doing something we wanted to do and compromise with the red company at the same time. And it actually was a major major blessing for us because it opened so many doors in our career path for us. Yeah, yeah. When I I heard that um, Earth, Wind & Fire version of it, it doesn't have the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, baby. You know that's, yeah. that's your that's your bit. Every time I hear the the Earth Wind and Fire version now, I still 
sing the little baby. <laughs> sing it myself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Oh, so just on the on the doors that it opened for you then. Um, yes. Okay. So so um, you guys uh, split up about 1999. Is that right? Yeah. About 1999. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So what doors had that opened up for um, for you guys once you oh. disbanded? Because I. I yeah, sorry, go. No, no, no. So many things were going. We At the time when Andrew left the group, Jude Nicholas joined the group and we we were doing, we were supporting Celine Dion and Boyz II Men and all these great things were starting to happen and we got a deal in London with um, Julian Lennon's management. Things were really going, you know. Uh, but then Jude ended up, um, he, him and his girlfriend were having a baby and I just said, you know, that you can't, we can't go to London for two years. They were saying you have to live in London for two years. I said, we can't go to London. Oh, How are we right. going to go to London? You've got a little baby here. You, you can't leave it. I said, we're done. We're, we're, that's it for us. We, we, and that was the second time and that was, to me was the time. I was tired by that time. I was only 23 right. or 22 or whatever, but I was tired for some reason. Right. right. Retrospectively looking at it, I would have gone, you know what? Let's go, all of us together. Bring your girlfriend, bring your baby, let's, or whatever we're going to do, or record the album in Australia, send it to London, whatever. Mm. Um, but it, at the time, we were so tired with changes, Andrew leaving, Jude coming in, all these different things. We, we just threw it in. We, but um, so all those kind of opportunities that were there in London waiting for, we had 52 dates booked with Backstreet Boys and uh, Take That and all those guys. We just said, no, nah, we're oh, just too wow. tired. <laughs> we just, we just, Fair so enough. then we, yeah, just threw it in. Then I did a, another record with Sony shortly after that, a solo record, and spent six months um, recording it between here and LA. And then um, came back to Australia. And then the rep company shelved it because the the um, um, who was the company James Packer and uh, um, Paul Dainty had a, a rep company together through Sony, and they folded their company as soon as they had my album. They gave it to Sony and they said, "We've delivered the album. We're folding." And Sony said, "You don't fold." You got to carry us, carry this record with us. So I sat on the shelf for two years as a, I couldn't do anything. But um, you know, that's what happens. A lot of artists happen to Samantha Jade. A lot, as, you know, you sit on, you just got to work your way around it and, and navigate your way out of it. And which I did. Dennis Handler was kind enough to give me the record back without any debt. So they spent hundreds of thousands on this record. I ended up having it for free. Yeah, so, which that's is cool. Good. The first time I'd heard of. Um, like an artist being shelved was, um, I had Emma Pasco on the podcast yeah. a few few weeks back, and that happened to her after the yeah. whole voice thing, and um, I mean that ended up working out well. They ended up, you know, getting out of the contract um, mm. mutually, and then she sort of carried on and, and finished her album anyway. Mm. But yeah, oh man, it's it's a, it's a difficult, it's very difficult for, for for when you when you put your time and your effort into something, but um, that's why I was very grateful to to Dennis Hanlon actually for letting me have the album because it's mine. He let yeah. all the investment they put in, I think it ended up costing 450,000 bucks. He ended up giving it and saying you can have it. But um, it's just, I, I, you can see where an artist can go, this, this, this is too much. All I want to do is make music and, and um, you'd rather play in a pub than, than have, you know, have to deal with the sort of politics of, you know, other stuff. And, and it's, it can stifle an artist. But Samantha and Emma and myself and, and Carmen even, Carmen Smith, it's happened to Carmen. Yep. Um, you end up, you're never, you're never getting your way out of it because it's, it's life, business and, and um, any industry you have is going to have these things where um, 
you're going to meet a roadblock. You know, it can't be always, you know, um, free flowing champagne and and feel. And nobody has that in any field. Yeah. So the resilience of an artist and the success of an artist depends on how they navigate their way out of it. I've seen Guy navigate his way out of some tricky situations and and really flourish. He is an amazingly intelligent person and yep. can really continue and power on. And and if something's not working, he'll go, let's fix it, let's fix it. Whereas, you know, other people, myself included, I would I just go, oh, that's that's a bit I'm a bit tired of that. We'll just uh I'll do something slightly different. But you yeah. know, certain people have that real um uh focus. And that's a it's an ama- it's an amazing gift to have. That's really cool. Hmm. When you when you guys signed your deal with Sony, um hmm. during the course of that time, um do you have any sort of dodgy record company stories or management stories or it was all it no, went, went really well to for us. you guys? They were, they were great to us. Sony were great to us. The thing is um, they always say the people that you meet, any person you meet, uh, you treat with respect anywhere on the, anywhere in your life. Yeah. And the people that we met as the sales reps at Sony and the people who working at, at you know, driving us to gigs and in stores and things like that, who we be, we were friends with because they're beautiful people. They are now the heads of Sony, yeah, you know, right. like, and That's even cool. the nightclub guys that we were nightclub friends with, uh, that the promoters and everything. We treated everyone with respect. They're now running the biggest company. So uh, because you always, the, the, we met a man called John Bromwell who used to head up Warner Brothers Publishing, and he said, "I'm going to give you one piece of advice." First thing he said, he goes, "My name's John." One piece of advice, he goes, "It's called." From, for, sorry for my language. He goes, he goes, it's the asshole factor. He goes, if you're an asshole in business to anybody, you'll be remembered and that will translate all the way through your career. And the person who's at the bottom will one day be at the top and he will remember you for being that person. He said that to me as a 16 year old and he goes, don't be an asshole. I said, <laughs> I said, got it. But, but, you know, I never wanted to be like that ever because God says treat everybody as you want to be treated. So the same, the same thing. So we, we, we have made friends. In fact, one of the reps at Sony married my cousin. So we're family now anyway. Oh, cool. That's yeah. good. They're great. They're very good people. And even to this day, I, I still keep in touch with the head of Sony. He's a good man. And, I, and, and he just had 50 years. So he, Dennis Hanlon started in the factory sweeping the floor at 19 years old. Right. He is the CEO of seven Sonys. He f- swept the factory at 19. That was his job. So somebody who has that persistence to be able to really, you know, maintain and, 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 and build his way up to the top is, is someone to be respected, you know. Very cool, man. Mm. Very cool. All right. So let's, let's go to um, CDB's sort of done now. You've been handed your... Your masters, your album. Yes, yes. So, what did you do from that point? So, I took the masters to and in, to New York and LA. I spent five and a half, six months in New York and LA playing to the record companies and um, writing with different um, songwriting, you know, big songwriters over there. Some new material, mm-hmm. and I got close with Warner's. I had um, um, taken to a focus group. So, myself, my album, and Jeremy Gregory's album got taken to the focus group. And they said to the guys, um, we're signing one of these artists. Tell us what you like and what you don't like. And I presented myself as an Indian Australian, which, which really 
the only thing about me that's Indian is the fact that my parents came from India. We're Portuguese, West Indian, Scottish and French. Um, and Jeremy Gregory is a South African Australian. Mm -hmm. So they said, we like the South African Australian. He said, they said Indians is a, um, they, at the time, 2001, they said Indians are not regarded as a, as a cool in, in New York, in, in America. And, um, I changed my name at the time. They wanted me to change my name to Garfield Vaughan instead of, or Gary Vaughan in, in, because Pinto is a bad car in, in America. So my package oh, was presented. So they said, I like Gary. They, the focus group said they like my music, but they like Jeremy Gregory's look. So they tried to take my album and um, my, my producer told them, no, not, uh, this is what I just found out recently. The producer goes, yeah, they were trying to take some of your stuff for Jeremy. Which I, I, Jeremy's a friend of mine, and I'm, I'm, I would have been happy for him to have anything. But um, so that's where it got to. It got so close, and we spent so much time, you know, meeting everybody and and getting close. But after a while, we just um, we ran out of funds. You know, we we thought we're spending so much time and money in New York. I went back to Canada. I, I went over the border to spend more time in America, to spend a, a month in Canada, come back in. But um, we're just getting sick of being away from home, so I came back. So. What does something like that do to your your mental state? Oh, it it, it definitely it, I don't, it definitely contributed to. Um, I mean, people were saying I'm giving going to give you a deal all the time. I've had mm. I've had everybody saying that from every everywhere. But um, so you, you you learn not to get your hopes up, but at the same time you have to be optimistic, which is 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 a real kind of strange thing. Mm. Being optimistic and then someone saying. I've got you a deal. I've, 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 I've been told I've got a deal probably 15 times by, you know, and two of them have come off or three of them have come off or maybe mm -hmm. 20 times. And, mm -hmm. and by people that I trust and people that are big in the business saying mm -hmm. the deal's coming, it's coming, the paper, and it's all, you know, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. So after a little while, it's happened to Carmen, all of us, Emma Pask, all of us. Mm -hmm. After a while, you have to maintain your 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 um your smarts about you, but at the same time, you don't want to have a negative outlook. So I had to sort of work out how to navigate that and maintain because when last time people were saying I'll give you a deal, I was like, sure, I you know, sure, no problem, give me. <laughs> but at the, I had to at the same time be positive about it, thinking well, it could come off, but you never yeah. It was definitely um, contributed to um, me losing faith in, you know, in the industry and losing faith in what my future, I'd had no idea what the future was going to be. I'd made, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars from a company making this record that was going to go and then, um, and then just falls on its face. So um, it I had to, re I, I don't know, it just I really took, took, a, took time to, and then when pe the thing what happened actually was, People were offering me deals, and, and I actually said no to a few of them. I, get, I said, "No, I'm I'm not interested in doing this, Australia. What am I going to do? Like, um, um, you're offering me these things, and are you really going to offer it to me?" So I started. I think I got people offside a little because I was annoyed at the fact of, mm. you know, continual kind of hot air. I thought it was, you know. Mm. Mm. Man, so man. then, yeah. So I, I started going. I just wanted to play at the nightcap, and I wanted to play at um, jazz bars instead of playing in front of, you know, a pop audience. I didn't want to play with a DAT tape or CD backing anymore. I wanted to play with freaking whirly players and, and killer drummers and, and horn, horn sections. So I'd rather do a gig at a, at a nightclub for 150 bucks that, that, you know, 
than do a, a high freaking corporate gig, you know. So I started doing that for a little while and enjoying. I said to Sam Kiva's one of the best musicians in Australia, he, I saw him playing one night. I said, you've just reawoken my heart to music. I, I've forgotten what it is. So then my whole, I started playing in Brunswick weekly. I just loved playing in in the dingy clubs of Melbourne with musicians that, you know, weren't backing tracks or, or CDs or I didn't have to do an interview for. I just freaking turned up and wailed, you know. That felt really good to everyone working with each other. It felt great. Mm. Man, that's cool. You turned that, turned that around good. Well no, done. I had to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But all the time, bro, God was always with me. So I, my parents were always praying for me and I had ups and downs. I went through difficult times in my life, massive difficult. I had depression sometime in there too. But God has always been there for me and, and with me. And even though I went through the darkness, he walked beside me, which was incredible. Hmm. Man, that's, that's really cool. Hmm. That's really cool. So from playing these bands in, in Brunswick, um, what what was it? What were the next few years after that? Um, I, I read I read in your bio there that that you got to play at Stevie Wonder's mm. daughter's birthday party, right? So how does that how does that come about? Well, he, he this is another thing. So my friend goes to me, I'll, I'll play a song to Stevie Wonder, and I said, oh, I said thanks, man, not thinking that he actually would. So then oh, a couple right. of weeks, a couple of weeks later, um, I get a call. Stevie likes your songs. He wants to give you a record deal. He wants to um, uh, write songs for you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we were backstage at, at, at his gig and all his band were playing them in their demos trying to pitch some songs for Stevie Wonder's album. Right. So Stevie, then my friend walked up and put my CD in the CD and they, the band went quiet and they heard three or four songs and the band, one of the bass players, Nate Watts, said, is that your record, Stevie? This is a new album. And Stevie goes, no, 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 it's a kid from Australia. And the band started laughing. They go, oh, Stevie Wonder rip off, Stevie Wonder rip off. And he goes, no, let me listen. He goes, he goes, tell him I'll give him a deal or I'll, I'll give, um, or I'll write songs for him because I can hear God's spirit in, in this music. Because hmm. Stevie, when he goes into a studio, he puts a chair there for God. And every day I went for recording, even if I finished at three in the morning or four in the morning, I said, God, if you want me to wake up for mass, before my session, wake me up at eight, at 8 o'clock and I'll go to Mass and every day I'd wake up at 7.50 or something. So in LA I was walking, um, driving to Mass, going to church, then going straight to the studio and, and finish late, be woken up again, go straight to Mass. So I was dedicating everything to God. So the songs were coming out freaking amazingly. The right. album sounds still, to this day it's a, a killer record. Um, Jimmy Barnes and Deep Purple love it. Like it's a great record, but it never got heard. Oh, yeah, right. which is it, it got heard by you know my family and friends, but <laughs> and a few people. But yeah, I released it independently, but that did nothing. Only a few people heard it. Right? Is it is it out there now? Yeah, it's somewhere. I think it's on. I don't know even if, if it's on iTunes. Maybe it's on iTunes. I, if it's not on iTunes, I'll get it up this week. They have to. It's good. It's actually let, let a really me, good record. Let me have a look right now while, you, mm. while we're talking. It's called Take Back Our World. I renamed it. Okay. Just picking up my iTunes. Uh, there's only two there's only two albums on here. Yeah. It's um, probably not there. Yeah. Um Glorify and Divine Mercy Chaplet. Yeah, it's just not that's not on there. <laughs> So you're going to have to put it on there this week, aren't you? Yeah, I'll put it on this week. That's freaking (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, man. But we had some beautiful times. I mean, in the studio we had um, 
Uh, Meredith Brooks did a solo on the record. Some of the best musicians in LA are on it. Sam Kivas came across from Australia. Um, incredible, you know, Alan Shirebaum from Joe Bonamassa's band. These beautiful players, really great, great bands. That's really cool. What was the next step? When when did you start? Because um, you you are the vocal director on X Factor, and mm. you've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, is that around that time that that stuff started to happen? Or yeah, it was shortly after. So after recording and 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 coming back from the states, I had a. Um, I toured with, a, a, you know, a, a, who was I touring with? Renee Gayer and Jimmy Barnes at the time and a bunch of other artists I was touring with um, and just, you know, enjoying sort of playing music. And I, for me, I actually don't care whether, uh, you know, I just want to be singing and, and I enjoy the, the pinnacle of my stuff really in truth is, is singing my own music. Uh, second to that is, is, um, is singing other, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't conflict with my, my faith. I'm happy yep. to sing the stuff. So, um, and I get to make incredible friends, Jimmy, Jimmy Barnes and Guy and, and, and um, some of the people I've worked with in my life and my dearest family and friends. So um, shortly after that, I joined those bands and then I, I went into a, a really bad depression at 29. And this is why my faith is so strong. I, I said um, I had a picture of Jesus in the divine mercy on my bed and I'd say to the picture every day, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And I felt nothing but this pain in my heart. And one day I said, I said, Jesus, I give you my heart, my mind, body, soul, and will. And I felt this peace come over me after five months of despair. And my life changed from that point onwards. That's when Stevie Wonder happened. That's when I got the job on X Factor. I got it in, um, in Guy's band, I think. All these different uh-huh. things were just getting bang, 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 you know? Right. And at the time I'd written a song on Guy's first album and, and, and I'd taken five months off work. So I had no, no money coming in at all. As soon as I came out of the depression, this check came in for Guy's album this song that I'd written on his first record that sold bucket loads and it right. paid for my whole five months. Oh, so wow. God has always been there and he showed me, even in my depression, he said, oh, I'm there with you. Just hand it over to me. I was carrying this pain, like this football of pain, holding on to this and instead of giving it over, God said, cast your burdens upon me. And I never knew that it was actually physical. You can give yourself over to God and he will release you of the burden. That's what my life, that's the, the whole meaning of my life. So now whenever I sing, I feel like it's a ministry. When I'm, whether, whether it's pop music or whether I'm working on The Voice or The X Factor or any TV show, I'm there to serve God and to help people and not, not to – because anybody can be in any band and any, anyone has talent, everyone has talent. But if, you, if, you, if you're there to serve and to pray for them and to strengthen them, then that's, that's my calling, I believe. So wherever, whether it's releasing my music or, or singing back up for anybody or teaching anybody – it's all equally as important and equally as valuable, I believe. No, oh, that's special, man. Mm, to, that's a great. gift, brother. That mu- yeah, that, mu- that, that must mu- make, you know, walking, you know, one foot in front of the other that much easier. So much easier, brother. There's that, no yeah, way. Yeah. Because every, everywhere you go, you believe, and I believe that God ordains the steps. So even us talking now, God is, God is with us. There's no, it's not, there's no greater... Um, position to be in, whether it's a million people, one person, two people, ten people, because where you are is where you should be if you're giving your life to God and saying, take me where you want me. Take me to, to where you want me to serve you, not serve myself. What, do I, what am I serving? A finite body that's going to die and take nothing with it, or I'm serving somebody, the creator of the universe, who is only love, 
to give love to his people. Mm. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life in love for others. He didn't, he didn't try and save anything for himself. And, uh, and if, if I can each day give my life over to God, he can little by little remove the parts of me that I cling to that, that stifle his will, you know? Mm. Very cool. All right. So I wanted to ask some questions regarding, you know, your songwriting process. Yes. Um, one thing I wanted to, which I've got here first is when you, when you write a song with somebody else or with a bunch of people, Hmm. How does the conversation go down when it comes to the songwriting cuts? Absolutely. So, so I learned very, uh, at a pretty early stage: whoever's in the room, we split it evenly. If you yeah, write, right. if you write yep. ninety words and I write one, or if I write nineteen and you write one, it doesn't matter because tomorrow you write more than me or I write more. You know what I mean? Yep. So, it, because I've I've been in sessions where they go, oh, I I deserve. 50 and you deserve 20. Oh, my goodness. That makes people, yeah. it devalues people. And it's yeah, for sure. pointless. Yeah. So it's, 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 nobody is worth more than any, anyone else. And, and, um, and yet it's respectful to be, you know, and, and you can't put the pressure on. Even at the start of the session, I go, this is how I work. It was three of us here. We're going to go 33 each and someone take 34. And so at, immediately it alleviates the pressure of that person going, I've got to be on because that this determines how much percentage I'm going to get in this song. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You can't, yeah, right. that already goes like that to the song. It just goes, okay, I'm strangling this creative so process. So you've been, you've, been you've been in those situations, you've seen people do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just shock. So now I, I, I say clearly, I say it's going to be thirds or quarters. That's how we work. And they go, yeah, everyone goes, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, otherwise you're, otherwise you're out. Is that what yeah. you say? If we don't I, do it, I, yeah. Nobody yeah, right. said no. No one said no to me. Oh, that's good. That's mm. great. Have cool. you found that with you? How do you, how do, you do it, really? Uh, oh, no, I'm not, not much of a song. The songs that I have written for myself, they've only, they've only been mine. Mm. So I, the only conversation I have is with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, yeah, no, no, never really been in that, in that situation. And, and there is a, um, I'm in a band and we we have written some songs, but yeah, it's all been split. Amazing. It's all been split even. That's the way. And you, you don't need any 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 barriers between. It's inconsequential generally that the, the single percentage that someone gets a little bit more or less. And what for? You lose friendships over that. I've seen friendships. Yeah, be dissolved exa- exactly, over that. Ex- exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm. So your pro your songwriting process then, um, when you go into a room. With say a couple of other people, usually going in there with an idea, or are you? Do you start it from scratch? Yes, generally with an idea. Uh, we say yep. a prayer at the start of the session. Say thank you, Jesus, for the greatest song, and and but we generally have a chord progression or a or a melodic idea. And I and I've always mm-hmm. got my phone next to me. I'm recording these good ideas, and I write down good soul idea, good R and B idea, good idea for Natasha. Or some, I'll have it in my phone. Right. So when the session comes up, I, I'm I've, I've got I'm armed with about. 10 starts. Yeah, right. Awesome. And I know song, my songwriting friends and uh, the big guys um, in LA who are do it for a living. That's all they do. They have pad next to them. They're going, uh, the, the, the white thing. The, 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 the. They're just writing things that come across their site every day. Right. And then they'll say, how about this? And they just throw stuff. They just keep throwing until something resonates. And they go, yeah, I like that. And they go, okay, let's start with that. 
That's, they're amazing. This guy, Mark Swirsky, Diesel's co-writer, is amazing at that. Just keeps writing to nonstop. Right. Mm. That's cool. Um, now, as the vocal director on X Factor, so what does that role entail? What's, what's your job? When, when job does is, it, when, yeah, when does that role start for, um, for um, an artist or a singer and when does it end? Well, so th- that I did seven years with X Factor, um, or seven or eight years, and you, we with the artists for 60 hours a week. So we have, I don't know how many artists there, there are, maybe there's 12 artists that, when, it bra- when it's broken down, but at the start there's 50 artists. So you're permanently making sure that their two minutes that they have of their song is structured in a way that best highlights the strengths of their voice. It shows no weakness. Um, it, it gives a dynamic that will grab the listener and it, 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 it means something to the singer and to the audience. That has to be engaged in that two minutes. So you're, you're, one is you're safeguarding the artist's integrity, making sure that they're never stepping outside the boundary where they are frail. Yep. But at the yeah, same right. time, you have to keep it exciting. So the artist needs to be not at the top of their range, just below the top of their range so they're safe to hit it because they're going to have to sing it 50 times that week. Yeah, right. They've got to have to and, and, and navigate it to a point. Some artists are able to just, if you're talking to Jessica Malboy or Guy or, or, or Reese. You can give them a kind of a, a roadmap and go. This is where it goes. This, you know, I don't need to say it to guy, but uh, but this is where this is where the peaks are. And this, but some artists like um some some math Dami Im is a mathematician, right? So she needed to know every peak and every trough and every single element of that song. So she studied it and then she'd go forward and sing it. So there, right. there's wow. different different r- routines. So. Every person, you've got to work out what motivates them, what is important to, in their life, what um, will get them to evoke an emotion that will speak to the listener. And that is real to them. So if it's real to them, it's real to the listener and it is, is something that will last. If, and everyone's different. So Dean Ray will be different from Dami, will be different from Reese, will be different from Samantha Jade and Nathaniel. Samantha Jade, I, I, I said to her, um, I said, you're the best singer on this show and and some of your pitch is terrible. What's going on? And it got her so angry. Her boyfriend said to me at the time, he goes, you couldn't have said something better to her. He goes, she's come out and she's just, she came out and she killed everything after that because it just, because she's a monster. But you, you, certain people, you, you speak the truth to them in, in a way that will evoke, I didn't realise it was going to evoke those, those things in them, but it ended up working for them, which is great. Have you ever had that go the other way though? When oh. you, put that, you put that pressure on them and instead of coming out as a lion and smashing it, they're mm. just like, no, nah, oh, nah, I'm done. <laughs> mm. um, I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't, mean, I don't no. mean to laugh to make fun of them. I just No, 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 it's not at all. No, I mean, I, I mean I, that in the utmost respect. I did it in my group in CDB. I've definitely done that. When I was young, I was always making sh- saying, oh, we're flat, we're sharp, we're this. I was really tough on, on the band. We practiced five days a week and we were, I was like a freaking, we were like militant about our rehearsals. So I was hard on Danny, one of the guys in my group, and it, and it was, I was too hard. So I think that, that I, you know, I'd, I'd always say, you know, you've got to, you, you know, you've got to send your pitch or you've got to, you've got to give more or whatever. And, and he's the, one of the sweetest guys on, on the, on the, that I know and the most beautiful guy. So I was definitely too harsh on him when I was young. And I learned from that and I apologized to him when, you know, as the years went on. But not never in television because I, I um 
uh, the artists that I work with, they're the only two people, Nathaniel and Samantha, that that evoked that anger in them that made them excel and succeed. The other people, I, I, um, like Damia would be, you know, working out this, the the um, the trajectory that would best work for her. Or for Reese, I would just, you know, talk to him. He's, he was so confident as a 15-year-old. He was singing with Kylie Minogue, a duet with Kylie Minogue, like it was every day that he was, there's nothing that's happening. I looked, I looked at him and I'm going, this kid is singing one of the biggest stars in the world and it's like he's singing with his next door neighbour. He has no fear. <laughs> so there's nothing you could teach the kid like that. He's a monster. He was amazing and hitting top yeah. Fs. Like who, who sings like that? And then <laughs> like Jai Waitford, I would just, I would just be with them and, and, and just comfort them because Jai was 14 on the show. So I'd just make sure that they were safe and secure. And, and even 30 seconds before singing, I'd say, are you okay? Breathe, um, relax, sing to one person. Don't sing to the audience. The audience here will take your energy. Sing to one person and don't dissipate your energy and just speak these words into life and be calm. And after the song's finished, you walk off nicely. It's just another day. Just making sure they're at peace. I, I never had any, um, you know, any backfire with with the with the with the teaching methods I taught in those TV shows, it just happened that Nathaniel and Samantha that those things seemed to motivate them in a way that no other no other singer did. Man, wow! Well, hmm. Have you ever competed yourself on any of those shows early no. on? No, never, just, never no. did it. Never, never crossed your mind. Uh once it did cross my mind, but man, it's mm-hmm. I, I just no. I, when I was young, I was all up for it, but. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just it's a it's. The, I think you're the older you get, the more kind of um, reserved you get. As a kid, they're just fearless. They just step on there and they just go, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's a it's uh, yeah. I think I'm happy being um, able to help them, you know, and and work in in the in the in the field and and work with these people and and be their friend and and hopefully give them advice that will help their career and their life. Yeah, that's cool, man. Mm. That's really cool. If you weren't a professional singer, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I'd I'd want to be doing mission work. I'd want to be working with the poor. Um, mm. Yeah, pro, uh, depend. Yeah, with with when we went to India, we worked, went to Mother Teresa's orphanage, and their their work is beautiful. These beautiful little babies they're taken care of by the nuns. Um, so. That's a it's a work of God, you know. They they the people of India have um, a special place in my heart and my family's heart, and then we um, that's what I would definitely want to be doing if I wasn't doing music. And I I can't uh, I'm married with a little baby now, so I can't relocate to India. But it's always yep. been a, um, a a passion of mine to want to serve the poor. Mm. Now your wife Natasha, she's a musician as well, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about her. She's a beautiful singer. She um, toured with Boyz II Men and, and Casey and JoJo, and she's a great songwriter, one of the best R&B singers I've ever heard, and just a beautiful girl. So she's another pure-hearted person, very pure. So when she sings, it's just it's just like angelic. So um, I mean, one day I was talking to her, and I was looking up, I was looking up a number in her phone. I was trying to find my friend's number or something, and I looked. I said, "Why have you got John Legend's number in your phone?" And she goes, oh, she goes, he wanted me to do a duet with him on one of his. I said, what? And what happened? She goes, oh, I, you know, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't follow it up. Or 
<laughs> because when he was in Australia, when he was doing his promo tour, he heard Natasha sing and he's like, here's my number, let's do a duet. Wow. So she's toured with Joe and she's done shows for Chris Brown and Rihanna and all these different people. So she's a formidable recording artist and beautiful songwriter. So her single is coming out in about a month's time, Paradigm Shift, which is a beautiful song. Oh, great. Mm. Um, you've been in Guy's band um, for a number of years now? Yes. Right. So what is the what is your backstage process before doing um, a big show with Guy? Oh, it's it's a lot of warm up because um Yep. Is it by are you doing that by yourself or are you doing it um with the other vocalists in the group? I do it first by myself. I'll warm up as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'll do forty five minutes but without even speaking or just warming the throat up. And okay. then I'll start doing the intervals by myself. And then I'll see Carmen and Guy at the, at the at the backstage on the way, and I'll start warming up. And Guy will warm up with me. We'll do stuff together, and um, and and by that time we'll definitely be well and truly in shape. Because Guy is the type of artist who just throws to you at a certain. He'll just go. He'll finish a song, and he'll look at you, and you have to riff off the back of his riff, and then you you'll riff again. Oh, right. and you have to go off him. So you have to be in shape always. So um, I'm never ever sort of at a spot where I am in doubt of my um, facility, I'm making sure that it's really fine-tuned and ready to go. So I'll be, I'll be, then that, that's in before this gig starts, it'll be two weeks before that, then I'm making sure I'm in, I'm already in mm-hmm. and ready before, two weeks in, out of the gig, you know. So that um, if you don't sing for a week, as you know, your voice starts getting a little bit, you know, the intervals are not as tight or, um, you know, your placement loses a little bit. So you've got to prepare really early for guys' gigs or, or Tina's, Tina Arena's gigs. They're monster singers, so you just can't mess around with everything has to be centred and everything has to be really supported and, and strong, you know. Mm. So has that ever ever gone wrong when guys turn to you and – and um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Badly. <laughs> oh, my, uh, I, uh, probably one of those times I didn't prepare, so I went – I was, I was ah, like just cracked like a dog, absolute filthy animal, terrible. Right, right. And so, so how were the looks? Oh, he just looked at me, and went, and I started laughing. So, is there a conversation at the end of the gig? Never. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, just a laughing. You, just, you laugh at you each just, other. You just know. Yeah, you just know. Because anytime he cracks, anytime he'll crack on the mic or sing a slightly off note, I'll just go. I'll just look at him. Right. <laughs> That's cool. He knows I'm. We're policing each other. We, 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 he's my brother. We just laugh at, at the stupidest things. Mm. Um, years ago, when Lionel Richie came to town, not the last time he was here, but the time before that, um, I took my dad to see oh. him at at Kudos Bank Arena. Yes, and um, Guy supported that. Yes, gig. were you were you at were you at that one? Yes, yes. You and Carmen at that? Yeah. yeah. I know Terrapai was playing drums. Oh, Terrapai's amazing. Yeah, and I spoke to Adam, but Adam wasn't there that day, he, he told me. Oh. He wasn't on that gig. But, yeah, I just remember um, listening to Guy and just – because that's the first time I'd heard him live. Bro. And just per, the, his amazing. vocal was pitch perfect. Pitch perfect. I believe it. It was like you listened to a CD. Oh, he's incredible. You know? And then, um, yeah, and then uh, Lionel called him out for one of the last songs. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was just awesome. He's incredible. He's, he's one of the best things in the world, I reckon. He's, he's just a monster. Yeah. He's a perfectionist and he's, yeah. Yeah. A funny story about that gig is um, 
See, my dad at the time was um, he was getting into sound mixing and and that kind of stuff. And where we were sitting, he would be looking down at the at the sound guy all the time. And you know, he's be frowning and shaking his head <laughs> and like bit bit gruff and grumpy and you know and you know, towards the end there, Lionel's got everybody up off the seat, you know, dancing on the ceiling. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. we're all – Dad's just like standing up, bopping a little bit. And, and then and then as we walked out, I said to my dad, because I, and I thought he was going to say something, you know, shit about the sound guy or something. <laughs> and I turned to him and I said, oh, what did you think of that? And he goes, that's one of the best fucking gigs I've ever seen. Really? <laughs> Amazing. Pardon the language, but he just I just couldn't Amazing. pick it, you know. He, yeah, it was just it was just it was just a fantastic show. It was he's, brilliant. He's a king, man. He's a king, Lionel. Now, um, I sent you a message about this new uh segment I got on the show. Yes. And so I've so I've got this uh the Gig Life podcast um Spotify playlist that I've had um right, right since I've started this podcast. And it's made up of songs um that all the guests have like the guests have been part of it's either been their solo stuff or um they've played an instrument on it i'm kind of adding to that now and and um what i've asked you to do is to choose just one song only one that that has had the biggest influence or or impact on you yeah um and then i'm going to add that to the playlist but what we're going to do now i'm going to get you to introduce that song and and as we as you're talking about it, I'll start playing it in the background and I want you to tell us why this song mm. and, um, yeah, what it sort of means to you. So, Well, the song I chose as, as a song that's meant the world to me and has really shaped my life was She's Leaving Home by the Beatles. Um, I used to wake up as a, a, a three-year-old and go to Dad's record collection and put on his records and I'd, I'd see Abbey Road, Sgt Pepper's, all of the Beatles records and and put them on the record player and, you know, play them every morning. And um, She's Leaving Home specifically is is one of the most beautiful melodic structures of any song that's ever written. Um, between that and God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, it really um, navigates these pathways in, in, in melodic structures that are so unique and so able to touch the, the soul when you hear them. As well as that, the songwriting in it is um, so illustrative, like... Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins, picks up the letter that's lying there, standing alone at the top of, top of the stairs. She breaks down. Like you, 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 you see the story, you see the English house that this girl is in. She's left home to leave her parents and her parents in despair. You, you see the whole, the, the string arrangement on that song is incredible. The, the, the cello moves in such a beautiful way. I put Guy onto this, onto this album and, and he was just gobsmacked. So he now has Abbey Road tattooed on his arm. You yeah, know, right. he, he, he grew up listening to um, gospel music and he was almost, you know, never listened to any pop because his parents said, you only got gospel. It, it just affected him so much as well. It's, it's just, there's nothing in the world like listening to the Beatles, to me. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. They're just the greatest. All right, so she's leaving home oh. from, the, from the Beatles. So... Um, the link to the Spotify playlist is in the show notes. Go check it out. Subscribe to the list. Um, it'll get updated every every week. So um, before the whole COVID thing hit, um, you are part of a show called Songs and Times of Sam Cooke. Yes. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. 
So Sam Cooke um, was one, another one of the artists that I grew up with and, and really shaped me as a soul singer. Um, a friend of mine who used to manage CDB at the start of our career said, you know, he goes, what have you been up to? I said, oh, I've been just touring and recording and doing, you know, my own songs. And he said, oh, I'm doing a show about Sam Cooke. I said, oh, man, I love Sam Cooke. He goes, do me a favour. He goes, can you do me a, uh, a demo of, you know, something of Sam Cooke? So I got in the, my computer and I just recorded um, You Send Me and I sent it straight to him. And five minutes later he calls me up and he goes, hey, man, do you want to do the gig? I said, sure, I love Sam Cooke. So we talked for two years about, you know, how to put the show together and the story and the lifetimes of Sam Cooke and, and getting the song list together. And we, we've came upon an album, the Harlem Square live album, which is one of the best live albums ever recorded. And we um, put together a band and started touring and it's, 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 it's a smoking show. We've got Dave Tweedy on guitar, um, James Sandon on sax, Adam Ventura on, drum, uh, on, on bass, uh, Shannon Sid on keys and on drums is um, Declan Kelly, so Monsters. And yep. um, man, and they're killing this stuff. And and we played at the Opera House, Art Centre, all across Australia. We're going to take it again on the road next year as soon as COVID stops. So we love it, man. We love we live in it together, and we, you know, all the band sings, and it's just good to be yeah. with our brothers playing this great music. And his his daughter yeah. actually reached out, saying thank you for playing Dad's music. And and really, yeah. wow, that's, how cool is that? That's brilliant. Mm. Um, you yeah, you played one of uh, one of those songs in the 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 Caritas. Yes, yes. Show. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Very, very cool. Are you playing gigs after – what are you doing after COVID, brother? What's, what's your – Oh, for, for music, um, no, I, I've – I mean, I, I, I've got some cover bands here in Sydney that I fill in for. Yes. So I do, I do that. Um, but I kind of stepped, stepped away from that. Sure. Um, once, once my kids got to about six or seven and started playing weekend sports. That's the um, thing, isn't it? There it is, right. Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm working full time during the week. Yes. Um, to go out and do the gigs Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, it was just it was killing me, man. That's it, brother. You, and you then made the right having decision. to get up early and having to get up early and um, go and do school sports. Uh, sorry, <laughs> um, kids' sports it was, uh, was killer. It was killer. So, um, yeah, once I stepped away from that, that's when I that's when I started doing this um, podcast. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, so I've been doing this for. Um, It'll be two years September. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, bro, for having me. Man, I, I've I've had I've had you had you in mind for a long time, Thanks. and it's only fairly recently that I made the conscious decision to start talking to people in Melbourne because I'd been mostly based in people in Sydney and New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And um, so I think I, I had I had Darren Frugier on. Oh. And then Carmen, yeah. and then from Carmen, Carmen gave me your number. Thank you, brother. And it's kind of just it's going out from there now. So. Nice, man. Thank you. All right, Gary Pinto, thank you so much for spending your um, Thursday night with me. Thank you, my brother Stevie. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, it's I've wanted to talk to you for a while, and and thanks again to Carmen for the for the contact and the hookup. She's the best. Yes. Um, yeah. Hopefully, when you once this is all over and and you're you're up in Sydney, we can catch up. Yes. And likewise, if I'm down in Melbourne. Please, man, um, let me know. It'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool. Catch up, have a coffee. Nice, brother. Thank okay. you for your time, brother. Sweet as Gary. Take it easy, my man, and look after yourself, look after your family. You too, brother. Thank you, man. Oh, all right, bro. God bless you, brother.
promise you the world will then The world stops spinning I promise you the stars will then I saw one falling And how can I make a word I said I promise you the perfect man But the nails kept coming I promise you a different end But I couldn't keep running How can I make good on what I said? Just take my hand 